Here is one of our many recordings from the Revolutionary Ideas Online Festival held on the 28th and 29th of November 2020. This was a weekend of Marxist discussion and debate held by Socialist Alternative. Want to join our fight? Go to socialistalternative.net today and get in touch to play your role in the struggle for a world free of capitalist oppression. So yeah, just to kick off, I, as Paul mentioned, um, I think Paul after Paul now has consistently shown support for independence at over 50%. I think some of the highest was as high as 58%. Uh, and there's really been a notable increase in support amongst young people and women. 79% of 16 to 24 year olds now support independence and 60% of women, which was um, only at 40% last during the 2014 independence referendum. We've also seen in recent weeks that Boris Johnson claimed that devolution is the worst thing that ever happened north of the border. That's clearly just throwing more fuel on the flames to these different national aspirations. Uh, and of course, this isn't even an isolated incident we've seen in with Wales support being coming in at an all-time high there um, a couple of months ago, 32%. So then it would seem that all trends are pointing towards this breaking up of the of the UK. And it's clear that in a context, global context of social, economic, political crises, we're also going to see the reemergence of the national question. That's going to be a feature of the next period. So I think in that current context of protectionism that we're seeing today, of nationalism, geopolitical tensions, figures like Trump, Putin, Bolsonaro, uh, the idea of, would it not seem that uh, the idea of like another um, independent state of nationalism in any shape or form is a step in the wrong direction. And I can, you can understand why someone might think that, particularly young people uh, who are rejecting these politics of division. Uh, and I'll be arguing that it's not, that indeed socialists should support independence. But no national question is the same. Uh, so we have to be very concrete about this. And I think in that what's very helpful is using the Marxist analysis that goes beneath the surface of these things, that sees the actual forces at play that's driving independence. What does it mean by asking what does it mean for the ruling class? Asking what does it mean for the working class? And then from that, we can say how socialists should approach this absolutely pivotal question. I think to... To get there, I think it is worth having a bit of background. Um, I'll try <laughs> to get this in. It's going to be inevitably imperfect, but just to give a bit of background of the history of the national question in Scotland um, and how, how Scottish nationalism has evolved, I think it's important. And it's, first of all, important to note that national question in Scotland is actually incredibly fluid, uh, that the desire for independence, the idea, uh, desire for devolution in previous uh, periods has like ebbed and flowed and are very much dependent on historical situation and uh, the balance of class forces. But that being said, there has been some type of national, uh, Scottish national consciousness that has existed for centuries, uh, that continued to exist even after the union with England in 1707. And this union kind of saw Scotland being integrated into British imperialism and capitalism and ruling Scottish ruling class benefited greatly from this. Um, opportunities in the colonial world but also then like the middle class in terms of positions in the civil service and in uh, higher positions in the army uh, but Scotland then was also hugely important industrial hub for British capitalism 
42 percent of seamen steel uh, produced there uh, and then in shipbuilding uh, the Clyde produced 70 percent of all British iron tonnage between 1851 and 1870. With that obviously you have a development of a very powerful concentrated working class um, you have, already by 1870 uh, you have like 20,000 employed in the shipbuilding industry uh, and then at the beginning of the 20th century, the number of Scottish people employed in primary industry um, was one third higher than the rest of England and Wales, and 11% higher uh, in heavy industry. And then so in such periods of kind of like expanding, like of boom, of economic development, um, the national question wasn't as dominant an issue. There were like class battles, definitely, but... Um, not really sent to express through a desire for independence and many wouldn't would have identified as British or even those identified as Scottish the idea of um, there would have been more of an identification with the working class throughout uh, the UK and, and that not being the forefront um, and I think things begin to change really with the decline in Britain as leading industrial power and in this process of deindustrialization. in 1961 uh, so this is after, uh, after particularly after World War II, the rise of the US as, as that kind of uh, predominant imperialist power. Um, in 1961, unemployment in Scotland was twice the total UK level, and it had been that way for the previous 20, 20 odd years, 15 years. Uh, and then, so in kind of in that context, and particularly in the 60s and the 70s, uh, you have like, you see the rise of the national question, and that kind of coincides with the discovery of oil. Um, something that the SNP then got a boost from um, by putting out this demand of, you know, um, Scottish oil, Scottish people, that it's our, our oil. Uh, but that being said, even there, so there was a growing um, desire for particularly like devolution at this stage. Uh, there was a 1979 referendum that didn't pass, uh, although there was popular support for it. But even at that stage for like full independence, then you know, it's only at like 70%. Um, then going into the 80s, of course, we have Thatcherism. Uh, we have, you know, neoliberal agenda of cuts, privatizations, attacks on the working class. And this kind of characterized the whole 80s. Um, huge, again, class battles erupted, particularly in the miners' strike. And again, this national question was receded a bit in this because this idea that it was taking place all over the UK. Um, and again, that sense of being part of, of one working class. Um, and I think, but really things then boil, you have the emergence of this again, particularly with the um, poll tax. And I think that can come out maybe more in the discussion where, um, you know, there was a Scottish being ruled over by a Tory government that it actually didn't vote for it, that mostly voted for Labour, but then they became like the, the guinea pig for this, um, for this, uh, to, for the implementation of the uh, poll tax, but which there was, so in that sense, it very much inflamed the, uh, uh, the national question again, but in a, with a real like working class like support behind that, and of course this led to a revolt that saw that it spread to the the rest of the UK, um, and yeah, so it ended up with it being scrapped and uh, Thatcher forced to resign. Um, but I think the desire for some type of change that continued on from that, um, and some type of like devolution or or, or for national independence uh, was was so great that even then in by like 1997 this this kind of led to the referendum for de devolution that even like Blair was forced to bow to the pressure to that passed. Um, but of course this this is also a context of under Tony Blair and New Labour that we really see that drift of Labour to the right again. 
uh, talked about Margaret Thatcher, her, her saying that her greatest achievement is new labor because they completely uh, took on that agenda of austerity, cuts, privatizations, bringing the UK into an Iraq war. Uh, all of this then is fueling absolute misery, discontent of Scottish working class. And this is also adding to um, growing desire for the kind of, uh, of, of independence. Um, and yeah, so this shift to the right from Labour, which was traditionally a heart, like they had their heartlands in Scotland and was had mass support there, was clearly noticed by, by workers and saw them being absolutely decimated. Um, particularly then when we get to 2011, um, this is also in the way of the financial crash, whatever. So the first election after that in 2011 uh, saw the rise of the SNP, unprecedented overall majority. Um, and just, again, just growing momentum for independence. Uh, but of course, at this stage, it's kind of, for many, it's like a way out of poverty that we've seen, the, the, the austerity policies, the, the misery that they've produced, but also more so in the wake of the crisis. So independence then is, 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 an is seen by loads of working class people um, as an opportunity, as a way out of these, these horrors of capitalism. Um, but also, yeah, again, as I said, it's fluid. This is a context where I already talked about like the drift to the right of new labor, but also poor approach often from the trade union leaderships that this rage that's building up for all these issues isn't getting an expression, maybe some of those traditional channels and it has to find a way out somewhere and in the, the independence uh, becomes that avenue through which it can be expressed. So just maybe a quick note on the SNP then, in that sense, they. They were popular for a while because they, they kind of played themselves an anti-austerity party, particularly after um, 08, 09, um, and introduced free tuition fees, although they've since been undermined, and are able to kind of talk, and they opposed the Iraq war, able to talk in this kind of rag, radical populist rhetoric, um, but we still actually implemented 3.3 billion worth of spending cuts, um, but while claiming their hands are tied. This sense, SNP, uh, although they kind of benefit for that anti-austerity set sentiment, are you know wedded to capitalism, are an austerity party. Although, um, they'll try and they, in many ways they capture, uh, they become a vehicle for that like sense of disillusionment and, uh, and rage against the traditional establishment. So all of this is kind of leading up to independence ref in indie ref in 2014, which had a character, it's a called character. This just of a mass working class revolt against the status quo. Ordinary people just being politicized, diving straight into uh, activity. And really in this sense, um, there wa it wasn't a question of nationalism in this like tribalist type of thing. It was clearly this desire to break with austerity. Um, we saw like absolute frenzied approach from the British ruling class to oppose independence, particularly the mainstream media, but even all world leaders from Obama to Xi Jinping, uh, or were urging a no vote. Saw this then in uh, Project Fair, Ed Miliband and Cameron, Cameron, David Cameron sharing the stage during the campaign. Um, to to three, yeah, using scare tactics why they shouldn't, uh, why they shouldn't vote to leave, uh, shouldn't vote for independence. But really, again, this just added to the um, disillusionment with Labour and uh, the idea that he was actually Ed Miliband would share a stage with the Tories, and just cementing that view that they're really no different. And again, you would have saw even scare tactics in the form of supposedly like left liberals opposing independence on this mischaracterization of it just being this like rabid nationalism, even, you know, backwards uh, kind of a move away from, um, you know, cosmopolitanism, whatever you want to call it, and a step backwards, which again was just trying to mischaracterize what it was about.
Um, yeah. But of course, this backfired this, like, in many ways, in one sense, it backfired that uh, it just added fuel to the campaign, um, and particularly to the more grassroots side of the campaign. Um, but you see a contradiction there, I think, between the SNP's approach that was to make independence as palatable as possible to the middle class. You see that in the in a particular report they produced, their kind of white paper plan for Scotland in 2013, outlining the vision of it, independent Scotland, but really it was based on tax cuts for big business, continuation of austerity, and no, uh, you know, really accepting the, the neoliberal straitjacket and not increasing public spending, etc trying to prove that there are a safe pair of hands for capitalism essentially um so in that sense like the in a, in a sense the the project fair campaign um but when the smp didn't offer a real alternative this the project fair campaign that talked about an isolated scotland in a sense could gain an echo because they weren't really combating those fears because yeah what they were proposing in terms of a um a nordic model or like a yeah or a capitalist scotland it doesn't really answer the questions of working class people. And I think that was seen and, you know, in that sense, it created a space for uh, those doubts to be raised. But nevertheless, uh, so that, and then that culminates then in 55% uh, voting against independence. And so 55.3 voting against independence, 44.7, uh, 85% turnout, um, which is huge and a reflection of just what this campaign meant. Uh, the work, most interesting is just how the, the breakdown of the vote to so the working class yes vote was concentrated in what were formerly like the heartlands of Labour support in Dundee, which was a 50% yes vote, Glasgow, 54% yes, and then similar results uh, elsewhere in similar places that traditionally were Labour heartlands, which kind of just goes to the show that the, the working class, the, uh, radical working class vote being the drive of this um, in many ways. Uh, but of course, Labour getting this question wrong the nationals were sharing the stage uh just shows how important like we're absolutely demolished in the next elections and it just shows you the lesson of what happens when the labor movement although this stage not really a labor <laughs> uh right-wing party what happens when you do get the national question wrong um so if just move on to the next part i think is important that what's happened since then and if we can, I think, hopefully shown that this drive for independence is, was being fueled by all these experience of working class people, of, of signifying a break with the status quo, we have to ask what's changed since then. And it's clear that none of these issues driving this have gone away. And in fact, they've come even, become even more profound. Um, one of these things, I think, going maybe more in the discussion was the Brexit. Scotland voted overwhelmingly to, reign, to remain in the EU um, and with the UK set to leave, I think this kind of added to the issue of the question of like their democratic rights. Um, and in many ways, I think this was a rejection of like the Tories campaign of some of the right wing Brexit campaign um, that happened, that we saw uh, take place throughout the, the EU or throughout the campaign. But at the same time, I don't think we should have illusions in like, I think this could come out more in the discussion, the character of that, of, that, of, of the Brexit um, campaign. But it did, in the same way that 2014, was this expression of a revolt against austerity and the status quo. I think in a much more clear-cut way, I think the Brexit campaign also was that as well against the neoliberal status quo. And for a lot of working-class people, it definitely, um, they, they correctly saw what, that the EU was um, a racist, <laughs> pro-capitalist institution. Um, and I think also you saw that come out, which also had an effect on the Scottish national question, is with the movement for Catalan independence, um, where you saw this huge, um, 
you know, elements of a pre-revolutionary situation, massive mobilization, working class and young people that really like laid the base to bringing down uh, right wing uh, Spanish government at the time. Um, and really was condemned by the EU. This movement was condemned by the EU, but also actually the SNP kind of kept their distance from it as well, not wanting to go down that road, which kind of highlights uh, their class character in many ways. We've also had six more years of Tory government and austerity, but also SNP have the role to play in that implementing that austerity as well. Um, and I think more than anything, all of those things, we have to look at the global trends of the instability of capitalism, massive polarization, and with that, a deep radicalization amongst young people, particularly seeing uh, that erupted in Scotland as well, and Black Lives Matter, um, the women's movement, um, and just general question of the capitalist system. Uh, and I think that radicalization was reflected in Corbyn, uh, who don't, you know, was better on the national question, still made big mistakes by not committing to another referendum. And I think this is many a mistake a lot of people make on the left by seeing this as divisive. Um, as a divisive issue but again if you try and impose unity from above again you're just going to alienate people away so that i think again this uh, can come out maybe further in discussion is the traditions we base ourselves on to the national question which is the tradition of the bolsheviks and um, who completely respected um you understand the, the right to self-determination and actually true that way by giving people that right uh, you win over their confidence uh, you can um to struggle a lot of time. you know you make corporate call for working class unity, but not try and impose that from above. Um, you respect these aspirations. Um, but also interesting, part of this wave of radicalization was also seen in the Glasgow Equal Pay Strike in 2019. So eight and a half thousand women go on strike um, and for, for equal pay. This also kind of exposed some of the, the, the role of the SNP and their character is a pro-capitalist party. Um, the, Susan Aiken at the time, the SNP leader of the of the council, the Glasgow council, council employed workers. And um, we, you know, was very much, oh, I don't understand why this has happened and it's not fully justified. Then again, when it was a success, they kind of did this talking out of both sides of their mouth by claiming it was, you know, trying to claim some of the credit, um, but really actually were um, opposed to it. But also I think the big, big turning point in the last number of years has to be, the, we have to talk about is the COVID-19 crisis which obviously is disastrous handling by the Tories. Uh, just 19% of Scot Scottish public now feel that Boris Johnson has handled the pandemic well. 62% think he handled it badly. And then you see the contrast that 74% say Nicola Sturgeon is handling it well, and only 13% actually is handling it badly. And this actually happened, this is a poll that happened before uh, Johnson's comments about Scottish devolution. So you can imagine how much worse it is even now. But I think we have to be clear, it's not necessarily, it hasn't been a good response from the SNP. It seemed better than, than Boris because it's so, his, because the Tories and his response has been so disastrous. But at bottom, it was the same approach of putting profit before lives. And again, a better, slightly better PR with Nicola Sturgeon with her kind of communiques and stuff uh, and was able to, you know, we talked about with, with the pandemic and with this sense of like, there, there can be a sentiment of national unity to respond to this and um, that they try to kind of benefit from. But really, um, some horrific scandals of like sending, for example, sending a thousand elderly patients just to try get them out of the hospitals to, into privatized care homes without any testing, leading to more waves of infection. Uh, but also suffering from the same problems that so many capitalist countries have of this just undermining of healthcare system with neoliberal attacks and um, reducing the ICU capacity, which is also greatly reduced um, uh, Scotland's ability to respond. 
and of course they have outside the UK they have one of the highest have had one of the highest death rates in Europe. Um, sorry, not uh, just beyond. I think behind England. Sorry. Um, and again, like everywhere else, COVID is intensifying these pre-existing inequalities in Scotland as elsewhere. Um, and this again is adding for this mood for for independence. Uh, and as all, all of this is point actually pointing to what looks like it's going to be a landslide victory for SNP and other pro-independence parties uh, next year's election. So understanding this combustible material, I think that's fueling these things. All of the um, and why why it's important not to take a dismissive approach of, to independence as if it's just this divisive thing. It clearly isn't. There's the other danger then of going too far in the other way. Uh, and just wholeheartedly embracing nationalism, which is what we don't do either. Uh, because in a movement like this, there are different tendencies that reflect the interests of different classes uh, who want different outcomes. And I think we saw that in 2014, the contradiction between these working class aspirations and desire for a break with um, the status quo versus the SNP who argue for independent capitalist Scotland. Um, and we have to be clear that these aren't, aren't compatible in any way. And that a capitalist Scotland won't solve any of these issues facing working class people. And it's about that, again, what nationalism can do in that sense is the papers over these kind of these class antagonisms. And that again, to go back to that, that plan for Scotland, the white paper back in 2013 that was, you know, was published before the independence referendum as a you know plan for if, if Scotland was to win independence, here's our plan. Uh, talked about, you know, greater so and I'll quote this is a quote, the greater social partnership approach to be rolled out across all aspects of economic and social policy. So you see social partnership, this they were trying to um, like, you know, have this kind of class conciliatory approach, keep, you know, work, essentially saying working class people, you know, should stay in place and just, and, um, you, know, uh, you know, make certain sacrifices for this uh, new nation or whatever. Um, which again, which we don't stand for all again, and I'll, I'll get to that now. I think that also raised the question of how do you win a referendum and Sturgeon and, S and the SNP really focus on this legal solution. Uh, as I said, they distance themselves from the Catalonia style situation. But I think it's, it's terribly naive to think that it's going to be a rerun of 2014 and the crisis that um, the, I've spoken about, the general crisis of capitalism happening out, the British ruling class will not just follow the same kind of self-confident approach they had in 2014. Uh, particularly with these, not just these polls, but everything else and um, other crises that they're facing. So again, there's the question of how do we actually get this on the agenda? What type of fight we need? And I said, and as I said, SNP, they don't want the Catalonia type situation because it will unleash a process of working class militancy, working class mobilization, or as the potential to, uh, that will go beyond their control and even threaten the system they stand for, which is capitalism. And they don't want that. I think they want to, their SNP and other elements in the independence movement, their approaches, they don't want to break with capitalism and actually want to co-opt and divert all that energy into safer channels. Um, and there, I think it's also worth knowing that there can be a tendency, even others on the left, to agree nominally with, you know, to agree with the need for socialism and agree with those points but have a strategy that independence is a necessary stepping stone. And I think this is dangerous because it can lead to, you know, alliances with anti-working class organizations, anti-working class parties and, and politicians, austerity politicians like the SNP. 
but also by doing that, by doing that, we're abandoning an approach of working class independence. Uh, you're actually kind of disarming working class people and sowing illusions in these people that are only going to turn their back and stop, you know, betray them. So in that sense, we argue for an independent working class policy and give no support to these austerity parties. Um, and we, so in that sense, we reject that type of stagist approach. Um, why is that? Because we actually base ourselves on an optimism, optimism and a confidence in working class, Scottish working class with all its great traditions, uh, but also with uh, the, um, the youth movements and, and BLM and the women's movement and all of this, this radicalization that's happened. We base ourselves on the confidence that the working class has this enormous, enormous potential to struggle. Uh, and to build a movement based on socialist policies that will link with, I said, trade unions and the social movement and use militant tactics that really, you know, draw on the strengths of the working class, which is strike action, which with students would be occupations. Um, and again, really, you know, as opposed to a conciliatory, let's sit down at the table and talk approach. And again, I think this, this sense as well can, can start a movement where also, the working class will get to feel its own strength and, want, you know, has the potential not just to break with Tory rule, but actually to challenge capitalism itself. And I think that programme would have to include taking, you know, taking into democratic public ownerships, the commanding heights of the economy, but also as well, the idea of a socialist Green New Deal, because it is important, I think, because you have the SNP traditionally reliant on this idea of like a Nordic model based on oil and, uh, um, and that being used or whatever, but obviously now with climate change, I think there's there's the need to elaborate like the idea of, uh, of actually a, a just transition, zero carbon economy, uh, and that won't be done and it can't be done uh, in the required time on a capitalist basis. Um, but nevertheless, I think we have to say, yeah, there is no solution to the national question on a capitalist basis. And that's why we have an internationalist approach. Um, even, even an isolated, um, so yeah, and it, that, sorry, yeah. So that's why we have an internationalist approach, and we also like. I think that and that's important about being an ISA, um, and why we do have. We can draw on the different experience of the working class throughout the world and our approach to these things. But we know also as well that all these issues facing the Scottish working class are in the same way affecting those in England, the Wales, Ireland, even the rest of Europe. Austerity, increased inequality. Uh, sexism, racism, all of these issues. That means that a powerful, you know, powerful movement, independence movement, that working class movement, a socialist movement would be a huge beacon for others around across, uh, you know, across Europe, but particularly across uh, England, Wales, Ireland, um, and that this struggle for an independent socialist Scotland could, um, would actually be a, a boost to these other struggles. Uh, but again, it would have to be clear as that that internationalist approach would have to be made clear that we don't that even we think that forget about it. In, we, we know an independent capitalist Scotland wouldn't mean anything for the working class of Scotland, but but also that even um, even a, an isolated socialist Scotland wouldn't um, would be sabotaged, would be isolated, and that sense it's need for an international movement, an international struggle for socialism, uh, and in that sense. Uh, more particularly for uh, in, independent socialist Scotland as part of a voluntary confederation of England, Wales and Ireland. Um, and I think I'll wrap up there. Just the last thing I make, I think, is, yeah, 
just to touch on the question of maybe maybe you can come out more in discussion i think where to draw on the experience of ireland then as well what, what i began with saying is that the, the the national question being extremely concrete that we strive for maximum unity of the working class at all times and i think in by putting forward the right policies the right movement in scotland can win that but we have to be careful that we don't just like you, you can never just um crudely apply analysis of one country to another i think some people might do that particularly with the national question in ireland but of course um with and particularly now with the question of a border poll looming but i think as a to, to return to that we strive for maximum unity for the working class at all times but in in ireland there is the issue but that means in Ireland, particularly in the North, um, maximum unity amongst the Catholic and Protestant working class. Uh, and unfortunately, too many sections of the left take a one-sided approach that completely write off the Protestant working class. Um, and in that sense, um, last point there, uh, in that sense, um, our approach would be sensitive to both of those aspirations and put forward uh, on, on, on a working class basis, but unfortunately, uh, just blanket support for for the likes of a border poll, really just has the tendency to um, um, to flare up sectarian divisions that are there, and would actually be an impediment for that type of working class unity that we need for the struggle for socialism. Uh, so just um, just the fact Paul said it in the in the intro about drawing that experience, I hadn't felt I had to make a point in that, but I'm sure someone can develop that more in the in the discussion. Um, but yeah. Leave it there.